What time is it? Hello and welcome to the Bible Dig Godcast, a fun-filled exploration of archaeology and the Bible. And now, here are your hosts, author J.S. Earls and attorney Peter A. Papoutsis. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bible Dig Podcast. This is also another one that is occurring during the coronavirus lockdown. So we'll talk a little bit about that before we get into our regular investigation study thing that we're doing, which is going to be pretty interesting. We just wanted to really quickly address Easter. Obviously, most of the Protestants and other Christian churches did it a week ago. The Greek Easter is coming up this weekend as we're recording. They get really involved. Uh, I've been to a lot of different churches and been involved with a lot of different services, and um, we do some pretty cool things. I will say down in Florida, um, and there's a lot of churches that will do things down at the beach or down at places and do really early services as the sun's coming up and, and things like that, and they will do really cool things like that. And people have all different kinds of traditions and, and stuff that they do, obviously, because of the coronavirus. Most people did not do that. It was interesting that people at the church we go to now were actually, when they announced that because of the lockdown and you couldn't have 10 or more people and everything, well, this was for Palm Sunday. And there were people still asking, what what does that mean? We can't come by and get our palm? And (laughs) we're just like, (laughs) Pete knows, you live in Florida. You can walk outside. (laughs) You You can walk half a mile from your house or less. In most areas, and you can get some kind of palm branch or something that has fallen on the ground. <laughs> it's not that hard to find a palm from or, or, or whatever or something. So, it's funny the things that people kind of complain about or get fixated on. But at the same time, too, we do we do miss not being able to gather and do things that we have done. And, and I know and th- this goes for everything. People, that, anything that people are used to doing, going to the movie theaters, seeing sports stuff, like doing different school activities, like whatever it is. I mean, I know everybody is missing a lot of those things now. And it is a big deal for people that are Christians or of any faith or denomination that, uh, you know, this is a big time of year for us. And so, it is difficult to not do that. But at the same time, too, it's like Pete and I were talking before we started recording that it just kind of makes you more thankful and makes you miss it more. And and uh, I'm sure next year will be very special at most of our churches that are celebrating because it's going to have been two years since the last time we did it. So, yep. That's basically what's gone on in the Florida area, in the central Florida area. What has gone on around you in Chicago, Pete? Well, here in Chicago is pretty much the same as what's going on in Florida. You know, we're in a lockdown. Governor Pritzker has, in the state of Illinois, pretty much instituted a shutdown order. All of our primary services are shut down. The courts are shut down, which is a big deal for me because I haven't been in court now for like what is it going on? Three weeks. <laughs> Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, she's locked down Chicago as well. Early on in the lockdown, people were walking along the lakeshore and in some of the parks along the lakeshore. And so she got mad, to put it lightly, that people were doing that. And so she ordered the Chicago Police Department to basically barricade the entire lakefront to not allow any people 
onto it or into their path. So it's it's pretty much a lockdown. And here in the Chicagoland area, following the directives of our bishop here in Chicago, who is following the directives of the Holy Synod in New York, over on 79th Street up in New York, where the headquarters of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America is, which is that we are not to attend services. Well, let me put it this way. We cannot physically go to the church building. We can still attend services, but they're all going to be live streamed either on Facebook or YouTube or whatnot. Facebook and YouTube are the primary ones. Zoom. Zoom is like a big one. Anybody had any stock in Zoom, their stocks are probably going up at this point because everybody's using Zoom. So we can still see our services and we still attend our services, but it's all at home and we just live stream them, but we do not physically go out to the buildings. And that's a big deal because in our Holy Week, the Orthodox, whether you're Greek, Russian, Ukrainian, Serbian, Albanian, OCA, doesn't really matter. We go to church every day during Holy Week. So starting with the Saturday of Lazarus, Palm Sunday, all the way up until Easter Sunday, Pascha, we're in church. You know, whether it's in the morning or whether it's in the evening, we're in church. And especially on Wednesdays, where we have a special service called the service of Evhelion, or Holy Unction, or the, the giving out or the distributing of the blessed oil. That's a big one where everybody goes in and gets a blessing from the priest with the sanctified oil, my wife, Valerie, and I would always take our children Wednesday to be anointed with the holy oil, especially our son, Alex, who's on the spectrum. This is the first year we haven't done that. It really bothered us yesterday. And it bothered us not only as parents, but it also bothered us as individuals because even before we had kids, we would always go, especially on Wednesday for this special service, and we didn't go to it. And now we've got another special service coming up, which is Good Friday, and Good Friday is really involved because we actually have, like Thursday night, a lot of the older ladies from the church, along with their daughters and granddaughters, would uh, stay overnight in the church to adorn with beautiful flowers a symbolic representation of the tomb or the burial tomb of Christ. You know, it's a nice little family thing where you get to have grandmothers and mothers and granddaughters all together, you know, decorating the symbolic tomb of Christ. We call it the epitaphio in Greek. That's the Greek word for tomb or grave. And we can't do that this year because, uh, you know, we, we're not allowed in, into the physical church building and we have to keep social distancing. So we can't do that as well. And then we can't go around the church three times with the epitaph, your symbolic representation of Christ. And we can't mourn the passion of our Lord and Savior as we could years ago. And then what are you going to do for Easter Sunday? You know, or Saturday night going into Easter Sunday, that's uh, that's our Pascha, that's our Easter, where we sing the celebratory hymn of Christ is Risen. We're going to do it at home, but we're not going to be together doing that. And that was always very special because we turned all the lights off in the church, and then we, we send the Paschal light out to everybody that are holding candles, and the whole church lights up with everybody's candles to symbolize the light of Christ spreading out into the world. Well, you can't do that now. So we'll we'll figure it out. It's going to be a lot more somber, more dialed back, obviously. And then what do you do for like Easter Sunday itself? You know, we had the service of love, as we call it, the agape service, where we would go in and we would share the gospel in a variety of languages. And we can't do that now. And then, of course, you know, our family get togethers. We can't have the big fat Greek Easter parties mm -hmm. where we would have like a like a lamb or two. Some families would do three whole 
lambs roasting outside and uh, the family's getting together and then, you know, obviously having the Easter eggs, the red Easter eggs that we would break. And when we would break them, we would say, Christ is risen. Truly, he is risen. Can't do that. At least we can't do that in big family gatherings. Now it's just our immediate family. Yeah, it's something that we're getting used to. Uh, Val and I, real quick, Val and I, like a day or two ago, watched. There's a great program. I'm going to throw a recommendation out there. There's a great program by a guy that maybe a lot of you already know. He's a travel guy. His name is Rick Stevens. You know, he goes all over Europe and the world, Asia, Africa, whatever. Great programs. Grew up watching Rick Stevens. He's a walking advertisement for world travel. Great guy. And uh, a few years ago, he did a program on Easter in Europe. And he did both Western and Eastern Europe. And also, I think he did a Easter in Russia, but I think he covered it with Eastern and Eastern Europe because it's basically the same. But when he did his program, and we saw it, Val and I saw it a few days ago, Easter in Greece, man, I didn't think that this was going to bother me that much. I knew it was going to bother me. But then I started seeing this program from Rick Stevens, and both Val and I are getting emotional that we're seeing how we used to do Easter. Yeah. Family and friends, and it's it's a whole celebratory thing. I mean, it's like you said at the beginning of the podcast, this is the biggest feast celebration for us as Christians to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's all about renewal, redemption, new birth, new life, being born again, being born anew, being born of, from above, however you want to translate that. Singing, Christ is risen, truly he is risen, trampling down death by death and bestowing life to those in the tomb. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a big deal. And you're out and you're and you're hugging and you're kissing and you're embracing. Both the Bible and, and our liturgical texts say, you know, you greet one another with a holy kiss. He can't do that now. Right. He can't do any of that now. And then, you know, you see the big parties with the families and the friends at people's houses or outside in Greece in the plazas, or we call them platillas. You, know, you don't get that anymore. So it's it's obviously because of the coronavirus, we have to have everything much more subdued, much more personalized into our individual families. But like I posted on Facebook a few days ago, we're not physically in church, but we are at church and we are with our church. So... Whether it's us this Easter, whether it was our Western Christian brothers and sisters, both Protestant and Catholic, in the Easter before, we're still a church. We still worship, whether it's on live stream, whether it's on Facebook, Zoom, whatever it is, we're still there. And as long as we put forward the effort, come next year, it'll be bigger, it'll be much more exciting, it'll be much more celebratory in nature. But don't say that you can't go to service. You can go to service. You just got to do it from the safety of your own home. Fire up the laptop, see a service on Facebook or on uh, Zoom or uh, YouTube, and then spend time with your family. That's all we can do at this point to stay safe, but at the same time to uh, to worship the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I mean, I've tried to make the point to a lot of people because I, I know, I mean, I have seen so many and everybody's allowed to respond however they respond but um i've seen so many christians whining so much and it's and they're so to me they're so focused on the flesh or they're so focused on thing where it's like it's just not good enough to not do it that way and it's like but you know the the whole crux of christianity really is about the spiritual side and the spirit and to me it's it's 
in some ways, it's good for us to to remember that. And honestly, for a lot of people who have been struggling with things and have needed encouragement or whatever, like the amount of people actually reaching out to churches online and places has like exploded. The amount of people that have been uh, watching is like far beyond, like I know there was one, I think Tony Dungy's church that he attends in Florida, they would normally have, I think like, I don't know, something like they would have like maybe like 5,000 people or something uh, watched on the weekend or something. It's a big church, but they also have several different campuses or buildings uh, all over. But that would be about the average of the people that would watch online. And uh, I mean, okay, no, that's not the a- that's the average of the amount of people they have in their church is five thousand, and there aren't that many more people than that that would normally actually watch the services online. But even before the Easter or Palm Sunday services, they started having like fifty thousand people watching their services online. That's awesome. Which is, you know, that's 45,000 more people than is at their church. And that's just one church. Granted, it's a big church, but that's just one church. I mean, it just shows how God can use anything and can even use use stuff like this. To me, like that's been impressive too. And we get so focused on things that it is good for us to remember, you know, the power of prayer and that we can touch people and it is about praying and it is about other spiritual things so that we're not just so focused on our flesh, which is hard because everything is always in our face selling us to feed our flesh and, and, and everything else, you know, whether it's our eyes or our mouth or whatever, it's, you know, we're so focused on our flesh and we're so always fighting against it. You know, I, it is, it's kind of good to, to refocus and learn to, you know, have some self-control and, and everything else. Yeah. Many years ago, when you and I were younger, and I remember this uh, actually being advertised on TV, it was under the pontificate of Pope John Paul II. That was the pope that everybody in our generation grew up under. Whether you were Catholic or not, that was our pope back then. Pope John Paul back then had said, and you know, it didn't really make sense back then. It's making sense now. Pope John Paul II back in the 80s said that the family is the first church, that the family is the beginning of the church, meaning that's where the church starts is in the family, and that all of these families come together to form the church, you know, the the bigger church, but that the church itself starts in the family. And so now, what are we, you know, what are we seeing now with this, with this uh, coronavirus, this COVID-19, is that we are in our homes you know, our families, individual families, mother, father, children, maybe grandparents and other siblings, and that we're there in front of the Apple TV, Roku, uh, laptop, whatever, watching a service together as individual families. And so that I, I started thinking about that a few days ago, about what Pope John Paul II said, because it reminded me of it after what my priest had said which is, again, echoes what you were talking about, which is the coronavirus took us away from our church building, but it set up all of these little chaplets in all of our little homes. You know, we, we now we have these little churches. Instead of one main church building, we've got 200, 300, 1,000, 4,000, 5,000, 100, thousands upon thousands of churches 
now in our homes where the family is gathered around the um, computer, the laptop, participating in a, in a church service, listening to a sermon, a homily, uh, singing along with uh, songs of praise and hymns. Aside from actually receiving Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, that, that's the only down part is that we don't get to partake of the Eucharist. Everything else we can still do. We can still do our prayers. We can still do our hymns. We can still sing. We can still worship. We're just doing it, and we're doing it as a family. Right. I told Val, my wife, the other day, the nice thing about it is that I'm not screaming at Alex and Maria, hey, sit down, stop touching each other. Don't, will you stop fidgeting? Stop it. You know, I'm not doing that because for some reason we're at home, we sit on the couch or we stand and we watch the church service and they're, you know, they're not doing that. Or at least I'm not doing that. Maybe they are doing that and I'm just not paying attention. I don't know. But it's better because I have more of a focus on the service, you know, than I do on, you know, other things. Even when I'm in church, I hate to say it, but, you know, may God forgive me. Well, it's it's tough when you have kids, though, too. You're, you're always going to be distracted uh, a little bit by that and w- wondering if they're, <laughs> even if they're not around, if they're behaving in their, <laughs> wherever they are, different things. I mean, it's just, that's the nature of being a parent. But a quick little funny story, you know, our daughter, Maria, I don't know. I have no idea where she got this from, but at the end of every church service, and I think this is common with everybody, you know, the church service ends and then you have like a coffee hour or fellowship right afterwards. And, you know, you have coffee and you have cookies or some fruit or whatever. Every single time church is over, you know, our daughter would like leave us and she would either go with her grandparents or her aunt or something, you know, somebody who's there in church. And then I'm like, where's Maria? And then I turn around and I find her with a plate of food. And like a orange juice in hand. And I'm like, seriously, every single time we go to church, the minute church is over, you go and get something to eat. Can't you wait until we go out to breakfast or something? I mean, what? <laughs> it's kind of funny that every single time you got to go get a cookie. You got to go get like, you know, some juice or something. Every single time she does that. Yeah, that's funny. But now we're all uh, we're all at home together. And I'll just say this too, because there's been a couple cool things that we've watched too. It's been neat for us to, um, and I don't know if you guys have seen any of this stuff, but there's been a lot of churches of different denominations and different things getting together for special, uh, I don't want to say productions, but, but just, uh, different content and different, like focusing on different things. They've had all these different people of all these different denominations and churches. They don't normally necessarily work together <laughs> as a, as a common goal to encourage and inspire and and different things. And it's been uh, pretty cool to see that too. And um, also at the same time too, like it's been cool to see different organizations like uh, Franklin Graham's that he's doing with his father's organization with. Uh, helping feed people and everything else, but also doing that there's been other people um, and other groups that don't necessarily normally work like with them or or different things that have been working together, which has been cool because that's one of the things that I've, you know, that's been frustrating for me as a believer. And I don't want to get too political, but like the thing that frustrates me is most churches don't really care for the widows and orphans the way that we're called to do. That's right. And there's so many things like that within caring for the poor and different things that if the church as a whole, 
as all of the Orthodox and Christian and, and Catholics and like and everything, like if we all as a whole together really addressed those problems and took care of the the way that we could, uh, rather than focusing more on our own ministries for our, for our own things, you know, the, it's our communities. I mean, there's there's orphans and widows and poor people in all of our communities. I mean, if all of our churches would band together and do what God said to do, then we wouldn't need extreme social programs and the government to get involved with those aspects. But because the churches don't do that, that's why like I have friends that are very hard one way or the other. And they're like, like, well, I don't like that. But the thing is, the need is there. So it has to get met somehow. That's right. And and you only have so many churches. And I know you guys have been um, and we have too, like been involved in um, several different like feeding ministries and, and, and all kinds of different things. And, uh, and obviously Jesus was into that too. I mean, there's so many things that he dealt with. Um, and really, I mean, that's, you know, he, he had problems with the way the religious leaders were doing things back then and that they were only being, uh, legalistic and ritualistic and stuff. And even just them doing that, that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with rituals, but it's like when you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, then it just becomes hollow. It's like when you don't have that depth to it and you're not remembering why you did it and not really honoring and sacrificing in that way. It's just bad, but you know, it's cool to see so many different churches and things um, and ministries and organizations gathering together and whether it's Christian or otherwise, just groups that don't normally necessarily work together, working together. I think that's been another good fruit from this time. No, I think that what you touched on is, is not only, important, but it's, uh, and a lot of people don't understand that, that that's a mandate. We don't have a lot of duties put on us as, as Christians, but that's a, that's a very specific duty that is put on us, you know, and a lot of people. It's not very high on too many churches lists of their focus. Yeah, but you know what? It's high on God's list. It's very high on God's list because if you read the epistle of St. James, he says the taking care of widows and orphans is pure religion. That's the epitome. And to go back into the Gospels, and I'm trying to find it. I know it's in Matthew, and I do apologize for not being able to remember it right now. It's that passage where it says, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a prisoner, you came and visited me in prison. And, you know, his the people will say to him, this, and he's talking about the final judgment now. He's actually talking about you know, the, right. the time when we are going to be judged as people, this is our salvation now. Okay. I don't want to get polemical, but you know, you look at that and I just want to tell everybody it it's not just believing in the right things. It's actually doing right things that your faith is telling you to do. So there is that, you know, I don't want to, like I said, I'm not going to get polemical or get into the minefield of, you know, works versus faith, but have a balanced approach as to what Christ was talking about there, because he says, like St. James says, you have faith, that's great. I'll show you my faith through my works. And Jesus said, this is how I'm going to judge you at the end. Did you feed me when I was uh, hungry? Did you clothe me when I was naked? Did you visit me in prison when I was a captive? And they'll say, Lord, we never saw you when you were in prison. We never, we never saw you hungry. We never saw you naked. We never saw you thirsty to give you drink or whatever. And what does Christ say? Christ says that when you've done these things to the least among you, to the least of your brethren, meaning your average human being, you've done it to me. So if you don't do those things, 
taking care of the orphans, the widows, the poor, the sick, you know, the elderly, whatever. That's going to be on your ledger when you go for your maker, i.e. Christ, at the final judgment. And I'm a big enough boy to know that that's a duty, and I'm a big enough boy to, to say that I haven't always been good on that part. But I should be, and I have to try to be better. So I'm with you. I'm with you 100% and with you, what you said. That's pure religion. That is the ultimate goal of our religion because once you get the confession of faith and you're baptized and you're in the body of Christ, well, that's not it. What are you going to do now? Are you just going to just sit around and you know just do nothing, just look at your navel, <laughs> gaze on your fuzzy navel? <laughs> you know, no, you're going to go out there now and act the kingdom of God. You know, people forget that, that the kingdom of God is, is not just heaven. It's here. He came here. Right. Okay. One of the more popular things that's out there, people say, you know, we started in a garden and we're going to end in a garden. Because if you look at Genesis and Revelation, you know, the, the beginning was in the garden of Eden. The ending is in the renewed garden of Eden. Well, what do you do in the middle? In the middle, it's everything that Jesus said in chapter six of Matthew. It's renewing the entire creation, bringing the, the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God back here on earth. And how do you do all that? Do you do all that by sitting around making sure that this Greek word and that Hebrew word tell us exactly about this and that and the other thing? You know, that has its place and it's all great. But if you're not feeding the poor, looking after the orphans, looking after the widows, going on to your community, and again, I'm deficient in this. I'm nowhere near this, and I should be, but I'm not. That's what we should be doing. What Daisy is doing is what really our Christian faith is all about. So kudos to your wife. Kudos to my wife because she does that a lot more than, than I do and a whole lot of other people. And I will say, too, like I understand why with different whatever the church is, whatever the thing is, that the different leaders or you know the different people that are higher up, like that may not be – uh, necessarily what they feel called to or whatever, but then that's when you have to be, and I, I don't say this in judgment really, because I mean, I, I think we're all guilty of stuff like that because, and especially when you're in leadership, like we need to know that that is a, and I will say like, that's not really a, like then I necessarily feel called to that. And I also have issues with my hands and everything there. But if I was in tra- charge of a church, I would be like, but this is still, this is a mandate. That we have to hit. This is this should be extremely high on the list, if not at the tippy top, because and so then I have to delegate and put the people in place who that is their gifting and they are good at those things, or even just people that are good at organization that can help with it because it does take a lot of coordinating and and everything else and just a lot of practical aspects of uh, if you can't get things delivered, like you have to go to the places and and there's a lot of things like that. that a lot of practical aspects that um, need to happen to get those things, but sometimes um, things don't happen just because people don't make a place for it to happen. They don't open up a place. They don't set aside a room. They don't, you know, whatever it is, you know, and, and, and that's what, um, there was one small church that we used to go to that was a really strong at that. And it was really cool seeing, and one of the reasons why I felt like that that church was so blessed and there were some like really amazing things. And we loved it because, um, I had never been to a church where, um, so many people there also wrote songs. So there was a lot of like fresh, songs like coming from 
the congregation itself. And, and I, I kind of felt like that was kind of like a wellspring of like the stuff like coming out because they were so, so involved with that. And literally when we would have these different food things, I mean, there'd be like 75 to 80 percent of the church would show up. And it, I mean, it was like that strong awesome. that they, you know, that they believe. And, and and I would tell people, like, I think that's one of the reasons why this little teeny church is so blessed and has had, has been able to do um, some pretty incredible things because of that. Because, you know, because you look at, like, like Pete was saying, like, that's, that's the purity of what you're doing and the way that you're blessing people. And it just, it has such a, it, it just resonates so deeply with people of this, that is that purity of that and really being true givers and not takers. It just reminds me, and I know this is going to sound weird, but my, my mind keeps going to, so I'll, so I'll yeah. say it. But one of the um, other churches that I went to when I was a teenager, one of the things that I loved, and it was just, and it was kind of like part of the philosophy. Um, and I don't know if everybody would agree with it, but I, for me, I really respected it was that the pastor there, unless it was really a significant need for something else or someone else, he would never ask the people for money. There would be times when they were really going through stuff or they would be having a bunch of air conditioners breaking down and other things. And they, and they actually, they run a church, a school with this church and everything too. And so they have lots of just practical things like that, like AC units and everything else in Florida. And, um, even when they would have a lot of things happening and sometimes his elders and people would come to him and be like, we need to bring this before the people. And he's like, I can't tell the people to trust God and that he's their provider. If we're not going to practice that too, it's like, I'm not going to do that. He's like, we, right. we need to be that example. And we like need to practice that too. We need to uh, trust God to provide for us. And like, God knows what's going on. He knows that we have, you know, $5,000 worth of you know things that we need Right. That, that we don't have in the budget right now because we had to help with other things and do other things. And it's like, and God knows our needs and he will provide and we have to trust him with that. And I've known that pastor in that church for probably 35 years or something now. And they've always done that. And it, as long as he was, he actually recently retired, but as long as he was pastor, he always did that. And I, there's, there's things like that, that I've really respected. And, and, and to me, like, again, that's, that's, pure religion that's pure faith that you're you're practicing what you preach and i'm not saying that they are perfect and that everything that they do there is, is perfect there's no church like that but right just the fact of that it's good to acknowledge those things and it's good to for us to be like okay that is a great example like i need to do that too you know and it makes me when i've been in positions of um, leadership and stuff to try not to whine too much <laughs> and try not to, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really to everyone, but, um, but especially to my fellow believers and especially, um, and, and then also to those that don't believe and stuff too. It's like, I, I need to be example and I need to trust God that he is going to do what he has promised to do and that he will provide, you know, again, I guess that's really the thread of why that was kind of coming to me. It's just that again, it's just, that's like pure religion. Like that's being real. That's, that's where it's really at. Right. A hundred percent agree. I did find the Bible verse. It's uh, Matthew. It's the gospel of Matthew chapter 25 and it's verses 32 through 46. I'll give you a warning. Uh, when you do read it, the reason why Jeff and I are making such a big deal about it is because God makes a big deal about it. It's Jesus making a very big deal about it in the way that that is directly 
what we just said is directly tied into, I'm going to emphasize that again, directly tied into your salvation. So when you read the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, 32 through, what did I say, 40-something, 46, you better read it with a light on because it'll scare you because it scares me because I'm nowhere near this. I got to step up my game and I ask God to give me the strength and to give me the, the ability to do it. And you know what? It's not God's fault. It's mine. So like I said, read that passage with the light on because it will scare you. What, that's why Jeff and I are making such a big deal about it. It's pure religion. It should be and it must be at the tippy top of our list. This is the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. I'll go back a little bit to verse 31, and this is the judgment of the nations. So this is the final judgment. So this is when his disciples were asking Jesus, you know, what's the end time going to look like? What's your return going to look like? What's the final judgment going to look like for all of humanity? And Jesus gives them an answer. And like I said, it's a pretty, one, it's a pretty scary answer from our perspective today. And it's a very radical answer answer. And I think when you read this passage, it puts all of the, like I said, all of the ancient polemics that all the Christians have had on this issue, I think to rest. Personally, I think it puts it to rest, but I'm going to read it and then, you know, you guys can uh, think about it and meditate on it on your own time. Chapter 25, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see thee hungry, and feed thee, or thirsty, and give thee drink? And when did we see thee a stranger, and welcome thee, or naked, and clothe thee? And when did we see thee sick, or in prison, and visit thee? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't know about you, but that's pretty strong language there. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see thee hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to thee? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, You did it not to me. And they will go away. Here we go. Here's the kicker. You ready for this? And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I don't know about you, but that sends chills down my spine every time I read it. For more info on the Bible Dig Godcast, please visit the Bible Dig Facebook page. And remember, when in doubt, just get it. Diggy with it. I 
don't know about you, but that sends chills down my spine every time I read it. Have a bright and cheery day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes the coronavirus seem like child's play compared to that. Yeah.